On today's podcast, instead of Tales from the Couch, Tales from Traveling, Arizona and Lakers uh, within 24 hours, talk a little hoops, maybe a little football too. We've got Sean Payton. Where's he coaching next year? I'll ask him that question. I guess we get kind of an answer. And Dave Damashek has a new podcast out with Ryan Chazier. We're just going to bullshit like two old guys, but it was a lot of fun. Finally caught up with him and life advice. Enjoy. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon. The perfect pants do exist, and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable, and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics, all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands, or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Royal Caribbean. What are you going to do for your next vacation? Beach, island hopping, hiking, a little culture? Choose Royal Caribbean and you can go on all the vacations at once. That's the point. You want to go to Greece? How about they get you there? Everywhere else. I've looked at the Alaska packages. Alaska Inside Package, Alaska Experience Cruise, Vancouver Round Trip, One Way Out of Seattle. They have it all. They make it easier for you with adventure at every stop. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Visit royalcaribbean.com to learn more. I know on Wednesdays we do a lot of Tales from the Couch. Uh, this time we're going to do Tales from Activities because your boy's been on the move. Very active-based. A lot of a lot of stuff going on for him. Uh, Monday Night Football in Arizona against the Pats. You would have thought I was like Captain Boston with my schedule. And then I went to the Lakers-Celtics overtime game last night, which was incredible. So that means I didn't watch a ton of everything that happened. I'm going to go back and watch that Golden State-Milwaukee game. But I'm just going to take you through it and how the mind works trying to figure out what I wanted to open the podcast with today. So. 24, I was in Arizona for less than 24 hours, uh, went with a friend, was excited about the field pass access before the game, and I forgot that going from Scottsdale to Glendale for that game is a grind. Uh, there's like seven different ways you can go, and they all don't work out that well. So by the time we got into the stadium and walked up to the field, and college games are way different than NFL games, makes sense. You get to the field, and they're kind of like, yeah. Uh, it's over, man. It's over. We already cleared the field. Cool pass, though. So uh, totally understandable. And it was something that when you looked around, you were like, there's nobody on the sideline. No one. No one on the sideline. I love that stadium. I've been there a couple times. I was there for the national championship with Auburn, Oregon. Was there for the onside kick Alabama-Clemson one. I think that's the only time that I've been there. But I do like the area. I do like the stadium. And then get to the seats. We're in the seats for maybe 30 seconds, and Kyler Murray blows out his knee. So. I've never been in a stadium. Shout out to State Farm Stadium. 63,000. It's the quietest I've ever seen 62,000 people. And I've seen some stuff happen in some college stadiums where like everybody's really quiet. This was so quiet, if it were empty, you wouldn't have been surprised. As far as the game, watching it not on TV, I got to tell you, Mac Jones, who I've not always been, I kind of feel like he's... He's the guy that you'll have and you'll think we can do better than this. Doesn't mean he can't start for a long time in the league, but especially with now, like the bottom or the middle maybe is the best way to put it statistically what you see quarterbacks doing. And I need to work on this. I wanted to do something like looking at the worst quarterbacks or the bottom half quarterbacks from 10 years ago and compare them to what the guys are doing now. Because you can kind of talk yourself into some numbers and be like, well, look at this, look at that. And Mac hasn't had great numbers either. And watching Colt McCoy in person, which was actually a nice little treat to all of that. As we know, my fandom for Colt McCoy, uh, Tone Loke at halftime. I was like, what's his third song going to be? There was no third song. I was like, well played, Tone Loke. 
But watching Mac in person and especially in the first half when they couldn't protect him, I'm like, I just don't know how much is on him. The tackles get beat the whole time. Credits to the pass for changing things up, trying to get the ball out a little bit quicker. They hit a couple big plays. Arizona makes all these mistakes. And the Pats have getting a nice win on the road that they need to stay alive in the AFC. Now, as far as what that means for Arizona and Cliff and everything else, uh, I know if you were to put together a list of the six to seven coaches, and I did this on my own. I haven't, I haven't done it as a segment. I was like, all right, who's probably on the hot seat? Who would be somebody who would at least be mentioned on the TV shows? I think Cliff would be mentioned. Uh, just because of how bad the season's gone. I would make excuses for it, but people are just going to say that I'm sticking up for him. That's fine. But he did do a five-year extension that pays him through 2027. And Steve Kime did the same thing, who runs the organization. So I don't know that teams love getting rid of a coach after that (laughs) and going, we're going to start paying you for the extension when you're gone next year. Uh, and if it's an excuse to be like, well, they already lost Kyler. And I think another additional part I was talking with somebody about last night, I'm not going to share it because I'm not sure that he told me that I could say that he said it, uh, but it's a good point. And that is, does Arizona, if Arizona were to say, hey, we actually do want to do something different, which would seem aggressive considering that five-year extension, does this job become less desirable to the next big name guy that could be out there? Because as we learned yesterday, uh, confirming what you just knew when you watched it and the way Kyler was on the ground and some of the reports after the fact was confirmed that he tore his ACL. So, is the topic Mac Jones? Nope, not really, because in person, I thought it was a lot better. I thought he did some really good things despite this system that I'll still never understand. I'll never understand. Like, no other coach would ever survive what Belichick has decided to do with this offense and having a rookie contract at quarterback where they're basically free and doing it was one thing when I thought he wasn't spending money on receivers. We knew he was spending money on tight ends because he loves tight ends. We have a great track record with it, but he's actually just spent the money in a bad way. When you look at their cap number for receivers on top of everything else. So that wasn't really the topic. I fly back. Do I have anything on the airplane situation? Uh, window on the way out. No one from either aisle side. No one C or D got up. I know everybody that argued that would be really happy. And then we saw a group of like seven people cut 20 rows because nobody did anything. Just a thought. Uh, And then I was aisle on the way back. Didn't stand up right away. Didn't care. It was only an hour flight. And then got mopped by a woman and her bags. Just destroyed. She cut up like four or five rows. Nobody boxed her out. And then she just, she small victory for her on the day. So credit to the people that say standing at any point is awful. I guess you win on that one. So I make it to the Lakers. That game was awesome last night. Not because of the outcome. That was an incredible building. Uh, crypto, formerly Staples. When it's the Lakers and it's right, that that place is awesome. And that's what it was last night with the Lakers comeback. So let's uh, let's move it back here a little bit. So I figured Boston would be up for this one after Saturday night's drubbing by the Warriors. And then Monday, they lose to the Clippers team, which is the version of the Clippers that you go, oh, this is why we're still supposed to talk about them. Because I've said numerous times this season, like, I don't, I don't really know what to do with them um, whenever anybody's bringing them up as like one of the true contenders. I'd like to maybe see it for a month straight from the group that's supposed to be out there, and then I'll make my opinion on it. They're the sixth seed as of today. They're 16 and 13. The Clippers are three games out behind the one seed, which is now tied with Memphis and New Orleans. 
Uh, we've been playing this game of the Western Conference standings all season long because if you look at it, Minnesota, who's technically out of the play-in today, is the 11th team in the West. Uh, they're only five games behind the one seed. So the Clippers, 5-5 five and five in their last 10, but Kawhi's starting to get things rolling. And the Monday version that we saw of him against the Celtics was the best of the season. Uh, he's only played nine of their 29 games. Uh, like I said, went off Monday, just looked better. Because even when he hit the game winner against Charlotte, I thought defensively, when you watch that game, to see Terry Rozier get him on like three possessions late in the game that mattered, that was a little like concerning. Although I would say Kawhi defensively is not nearly, and it's more reputation now and has been for a little while, but he also hasn't been healthy long enough for me to maybe think like, is it partly because of you? Yes. Is it partly because of health? Yes. But against Boston, it looked a lot better. Um Kawhi's played in three of the last four games. Shooting numbers are probably not where you'd expect to be, at least in this month, but he's playing 30 minutes per game in December, which is a jump up when you look at the game log, which again, isn't very long because he's missed 20 of these games. The Clippers, however, are 28th in offense on the season. So they've been hanging in defensively. I still feel like 16 and 13 is a nice win for the ever-changing starting lineup for a team that feels like it's never quite had what they thought they were going to have, which I know will lead to revisionist history if it doesn't work again this year. Look, if you have a chance at free agency and trading, getting Paul George means you get Kawhi Leonard. Everybody does it. It's the same rule as the Kevin Durant and Kyrie rule. So Boston gets smashed by Golden State, which I thought was actually a nice reminder about who Golden State can be and why I'm just not ever writing this team off. Like, and I don't know that anybody really is, so it's not like, hey, wow, did you hear Russell the other day? He's not writing off the Warriors. That guy's a fucking nut. No, that's not what I'm asking for. Golden State, however, with the bad defensive numbers that are on the road compared to their home stuff, like there's just little reminders of you going, yeah, okay, if you're capable of doing this to the Celtics, who have clearly been the best team in basketball this season, then this is why even if the record and seeding isn't what I want it to be in February, I don't know that there's going to be a version of them in the regular season where I go, you know, I just don't see it because I thought that's what Saturday night meant. They also did such a great job against Tatum defensively, just having that second defender always ready to shade over and come over and help quickly, which I think took Tatum out. And then you could say it was both things, Golden State's defense on Saturday and Tatum having maybe the worst game of the season where you're like, what's wrong with you tonight? Cuts, not being ready for the basketball, bad shot selection, some of the stuff that would bother you when the offense got a little bogged down with Boston. So with Boston losing Saturday and then Monday and then having the back-to-back with the Lakers, where I heard a stat the other day where when it's the Clippers-Lakers back-to-back, the Lakers have gotten the team 14 times out of the 21 and the second one where the Clippers have only had it happen seven. I think that's right. I'm not 100% sure, but that's a massive advantage for the Lakers. But because Boston had played so poorly, you're thinking they're going to be up for this game. And boy, were they up for it. Uh, even though they have no Horford still, Rob Williams' flirtation with him coming back last week, which didn't happen. Um, but Boston, through the stretch, their last seven games, they're the last, they're last in offense in the NBA, which is a little surprising because overall in the season, that's been their biggest thing. The defense has been the part that's that's been below the standard, but you know, it had gotten better, it gotten better, but nobody really cared because the offense was blowing everybody out. So Boston goes up 37-24 in the first quarter. They're up 79-59 in the third. Um, Boston scored, though, because I was looking at this as I was sitting there. Boston scored four points over the last 540 of the third and then four points the first 536 of the fourth. So that's eight total points from the Celtics in almost a quarter's worth of play. Over 11-16, they scored eight points. That building was rocking. Uh, they had LeBron working Tatum 
into the Grant Williams switch. It was just LeBron and AD stuff. They were doing it further away from the basket as they, as opposed to what they were doing in like tight, tight, shorter quarters there against Milwaukee. I shouldn't say shorter, but it was just they were doing it a lot closer to the basket, which you don't really see happen all that much. And it was working in perfection against Milwaukee. In this case, LeBron just wanted Grant. And seeing LeBron in person, as I've watched him on TV throughout the entire season, like it's it's very clear to me that at this stage of his career, it's it's him looking like he's lost a step to moments where like last night he had enough dunks that could have filled an entire season's highlight DVD. All right. He was going off while I think he was still tired. He even subbed himself out at one point, too, because I think there are just moments with LeBron, especially on defense, where it's a lot to ask of him at this stage to keep it. I, mean, I think he'll have a couple lulls throughout seasons or this season where he's just not feeling it physically, and yet he'll still have moments in the game where it doesn't look like he's himself, where it looks like he's a teenager. So it's, it's actually, this is all being super impressed. And the defense was really good when the Lakers took this game back. Uh, they did a really good job, just some really simple schematic stuff of making sure they're focusing on Tatum, leaving Blake Griffin by himself. Blake had a rough start to the fourth quarter. First three minutes there were just tough. That's exactly what the Lakers wanted. I think because Grant Williams holds up so well defensively, they thought maybe they could live with it. Against LeBron, they couldn't. I mean, LeBron got him one time, just went right past him, got the switch, brought it back out, and it was just on. And then when you have Grant that far away, who's kind of your de facto five, if you have AD role, the help is going to be too small. And if LeBron works Grant, the help is going to be too small. So Boston's trying to, they've been surviving defensively with this, but then they started exposing it. And even Westbrook on the ball defensively, like on the ball, it's different when he's opposed to having to think and make decisions off the ball. He's a mess, but he deserves credit for it. But as you're watching this comeback from the Lakers happen and the crowd is going, I can't emphasize, it's just such a great crowd, right? I'm like, man, these guys are playing a lot of minutes. Looks like the Lakers are going to win it. AD misses two free throws. Free throw issue going back to the Philly game where he missed one that could have put it out of out of reach. Uh, or at least they would have been up with 3.1 to go. So I shouldn't guarantee anything on that. So that's part of the small AD storyline. Always makes his free throws. Now he's missed big ones uh, within a week of each other against good teams. That you're, well, felt like you were going to beat at that time. Although that Philly game, let me back that up. They were down so much. Like, I can't believe they even got that thing to overtime. And then they got it to overtime and then they couldn't score. And that's where after Tatum hits this insane step back where I was kind of towards the baseline against LeBron, that'll be one of the, like when, when Tatum ends up doing whatever he ends up doing, that will be one of those possessions. I'm not calling it MJ going between his leg and the garden against the entire Celtics, including Bird, but it was it was flirting with that kind of level of, again, LeBron older, whatever, but it was a nasty, huge shot, ties it up, Okay. So I look, I'm like, man, the Lakers aren't subbing anybody. And they didn't. I went back and looked at it this morning. AD played 34 straight minutes. So that's the end of the second half, or excuse me, end of the first half, the entire second half, and overtime. The Westbrook, LeBron, Anthony Davis, Reeves, I think it was Troy Brown, they played all of the fourth quarter. That doesn't happen. I always look for subs. I mean, like, oh, I wonder what they're doing or how they do this. LeBron at times will come out in the middle of the, like, the middle of the fourth and then come back in. They didn't do any of that. And Ham explained it. But then once you started overtime up, like I really felt like, okay, Boston tied it. They got to overtime, even though their offense has been so bad. 
they finished strong and had a couple nice plays. It feels like they've tightened up the defense here a little bit. Like, what are you going to expect from this group that's been out there the entire time on the Lakers side? And it's tough. The amount of energy that you have to use to come back like that and play defense the entire time. So Boston ends up winning this thing in overtime. I've already talked about the LeBron part of it. Um, hey, on my notes, I made sure the Westbrook is good part. Although Westbrook kind of played into the Celtics defensive strategy, which we see all the time with Westbrook. Uh, he couldn't help himself there in the overtime. Took a couple shots that you definitely didn't want him to take. But I would close on kind of like my thought on, on Tatum. I'm going to tease this. I'll probably just do it Friday. Because when Tatum, I always push back when it's like, hey, somebody's playing this well. He's playing this well in comparison to everybody else. This is what his stats say. But it's the same thing kind of like with the SEC conference stuff. For you to be the next conference that says we're now the best, that's going to take some time. Okay, that's not, that's not 48 minutes and what's the score. That's going to take some time. And whenever I think about the top five players in basketball, like that is almost something that takes a year plus for me to go, okay, I'm ready to go ahead and put this there for you. So for Tatum, who's probably there right now and is the MVP favorite, by the way. So you're like, okay, this is not breaking news. But to truly be there and then compare that list to like how many guys you could say, hey, I think he could be top five one day. That seems like I'm almost always going to say no to that. And Tatum's a yes. Tatum's a yes. Massive shot. I know he stunk on Saturday against Golden State. Uh, but, you know, some guys have some bad games and uh, he saved he saved it for the very end against L.A. in a game that felt like, wait, they're going to blow this one too. Uh, and they didn't, especially after losing those first two in California. Looking to get more out of the NBA this season? Well, now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's free bets back if your first bet doesn't win. You know the deal. $1,000 back. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Here's my pick for tonight. I've put 12 seconds of research into it. Wizards Nuggets at Denver over under 225.5. We're betting the over. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same-game parlay. FanDuel is also now live in Maryland. Marylanders, make sure you get in on the action, also with great offers, boosts just for you. So don't miss a chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in free bets when you join FanDuel with promo code Ryan. That's R-Y-E-N. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older in select states. First online real money wager. Only refund issue with non-retroable free bets. Expires for 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode of the Ryan Rosillo Podcast is brought to you by State Farm. All right, football fans, the good neighbors over at State Farm wanted me to let you know you don't really have to get that personal to get the personal price plan. Seriously, there's no need to tell anyone that you make custom DJ remixes of your team's fight song or that you memorize the choreography to every dance routine of your team's cheerleading squad. We already talked about my buddy who was a cheerleader, right? I think we did do that. Um, I don't know if he tells anybody that anymore. Not that there's anything wrong with it, right? But he, uh, I don't think it's on his LinkedIn. I don't think that it is on his LinkedIn. So that could be potentially a little too personal if he were going to do that. Uh, and it really almost backfired, too, when he was in college. But then it was huge for him because it was a real icebreaker. That's right. I used to cheerlead. And now he's a successful teacher shaping the minds of tomorrow's youth or today's youth. 
tomorrow's generation. That's right. The State Farm Personal Price Plan simply helps you create an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com today to create your State Farm Personal Price Plan. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. He's a legendary coach in the NFL. He's working with Fox, and he's also brought to us by Zebra Technologies. We'll get to that a little bit later, but it's Sean Payton, who um, is kind of a part-time neighbor now, so it's good to see you again. Yeah, hey, great seeing you. Um, man, it's uh, it's nice getting adjusted out to, out to this, the, the California weather and the climate and uh, you know the convenience of everything. It's, it's a lot different than I expected. Yeah, that's what I tell everybody. You know, they're like, oh, that place is the worst. LA is the worst. I'm like, well, I don't really live in LA. I feel a lot softer than I've ever felt. I feel like I need to toughen up a little bit, but I'm not complaining <laughs> about anything. So that's good. <laughs> no, that's right. But no, I, I think you're right. I think, um, you know, we, we clump everything into LA and there, there's <clears throat> so many different pockets to that area. Uh, and it's much broader or larger than, you know, the, the cities that I'm used to, such as Chicago or New York. And it's, you know, here you are within the blocks. Uh, it's a lot more spread out. Yeah, it's almost like its own state. There's just a bunch of different versions of it. And that's that's kind of how I try to explain it. Uh, so what's it been like this this first year, you not working? What's this been like for you? Um, it's been good. Uh, it's kind of been what, what I've hoped uh, it would be. And uh, I've had more time, um, more time with my family, children, uh, been able to travel a little bit, certainly been able to golf. Uh, I've got one of those frustrating golf games, but I enjoy it nonetheless. Um, and you know, it, it also allows you a, a break, not only physically, but mentally from, uh, from that grind. Um, I just felt it was necessary for me and you know, that there's a point at which you're going and you're going and you're going and the hours are long and, um, you know, you, you you can begin to know your own body and feel the wear and tear, and, and so uh, uh, I've been able to you know check a lot of those boxes that, that I was hoping to when when I made that decision. We'll get to the future because you know that's where this is going at some point. But I want to go backwards. I want to go back to 2006, the first year you're in New Orleans. You get Breeze in. You turn the franchise around. The city had gone through a ton, so there's a lot that I wanted. To, but I. I don't know it well enough, right? I didn't. I didn't play. What is that like when you you've had these years as an assistant and you have all these thoughts of what you'd be like as a head coach, and you get a quarterback in like Drew, who's going through his own stuff, but we know how talented he is. When you first have that relationship and you're trying to build an offense together, what what are those early moments like that again ended up being the introduction of what was a long marriage? Yeah. So, look, that year, our first year, <clears throat> 2006, we had the second pick of the draft. Um, and I would say that a lot of the energy and focus in January, um, early February was, was just that, you know, who were the quarterbacks in the draft? Um, certainly we were paying attention to who the veteran quarterbacks on the street were, but we knew we were going to add and, and make a change at quarterback. Um, what we didn't know at that time that Drew was going to be available. He gets, he gets released by the Chargers at the end of February, right, right during the scouting combine, because I, I, I can recall the day. Um, and so when that took place, it kind of, there was another door then, another choice, you know, that we had to look at. Now, it, it didn't come with, with, without some challenges. Of course, he was rehabbing a shoulder injury that, that he had uh, hurt 
in the last game of the season that he played with the then San Diego. So we began that process. We were also full steam ahead, evaluating the college players. And then we were in the midst of lining up a visit with Josh McCown. And so to get to your question, we go all in with Drew. Um, you know, he goes through the rehab. That that first mini camp when he's with the Saints that spring, you know, he's not really even throwing the football. He's in the huddle. He's he's able to take a snap. Um, he's leading. Uh, and yet he, he's doing all of that without without actually throwing. So there was no throwing until the till the fall camp of 06. I think it was important for us because we were new putting in a system. We had time enough to to know some of the terms that he used in San Diego. Pete Carmichael Jr., who was our quarterback coach at the time, who's now the current coordinator. Pete was a quality control coach on the Chargers staff. So Pete kind of brought to us, hey, this this is what he knows. This is what the offense called this. This was the terminology we used for that. This was our snap count. So we had kind of a translator, if you will, in the building. And Pete was hired long before Drew was even a thought. And so it made sense for us then, if we were on the ground floor putting in our offense, to then pivot a little bit, adjust a little bit as to what he knew and call it that. We, the rest of us had learned. So that happened early enough in the process. That was February going on March now when, when we signed Drew. And, you know, we weren't handing out playbooks for another month or so. So, and then at that point, which I, I'm going to try to describe it as best I can. 15 years later, you end up in this giant house, right, with all these bedrooms and movie rooms, and that's where we play air hockey, and up, that's the ping pong table room, and, and you're not quite sure when any of these rooms were built. They were just built gradually over those 15 years, and that became the offense. And it, it, there's an evolution to that. And in 06, you know, it, it it's it's centered around the pieces. And that was Deuce McAllister and Reggie Bush and uh, Marcus Colston was a rookie and Terrence Copper. And, um, you know, you're gradually taking what you have and then putting together what's best for your team. And then uh, 07, 08, 09, you know, is Jeremy Shockey. Um, it's still Reggie Bush, Pierre Thomas, uh, Mike Bell. Um, it's Robert Meacham. It's Devery Henderson, Marcus Colston. Uh, it's Dave Thomas. And it's, it's not until you begin to look back occasionally and you say, man, like it's almost like looking at old photographs and you can't believe that was what we did in 07 or that was what we did in 2010. You know, I can't believe we wore our blue jeans that way. We cut our hair that way. Um, so there is a little bit of evolution to it. Yeah, that ended up being like, a, all right. So I, I kind of feel like I have more on that because you'll you'll be with Drew for so many years. Do you go, okay, we can't stay the same because then everybody's no, going to figure no. out like, what we're doing. So what are those things when you and Drew are talking where you go, hey, what if we tried this or I saw so-and-so do this or I saw this in a college game? Like, how do you start to keep growing out what, what the available 
you know, design is of what you're trying to build as an offense. It to what you just said is nonstop. In other words, sure, in the off season, when when you're finished the regular season, you you have studies. You know, coaches will go study three teams. Um, you'll bring back ideas. You'll implement new thoughts. But I would say even during the season, you're not only are you looking at opponent tape, but you're looking at you're looking at games that are being played each weekend. The touchdown reel, you know, all the touchdowns scored in the NFL that that weekend. Um, and so these thoughts and ideas would would always be thrown at the wall. And you know, generally speaking, it you know, if you threw fifteen thoughts up there, one or two might stick. They might not fit us, but I would say it was ongoing, and so that that sometimes leads to the 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 addition in the back of the house that that went over the easement that we really didn't give much thought to, and, and but we we put it in on a Thursday and we liked it a lot, and then we started calling it. Um, I think our goal when we built the 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 system though was. Look, if we all just left here today and we opened up the playbooks and we left them on the table, we walked away, would a new staff be able to come in and look at it all and be able to piece it together? And and I think certainly the longer we were there, the harder that process would have been. But we we knew what we'd want to call something, but more importantly were the ideas. And then I would say, Ryan, who we were studying. Um, you have to stay relevant with the game. And so I'll give you an example. Um, we just finished this weekend's games in the NFL. Today's, what, Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. And we're, we're working on our upcoming weekend opponent. And let's say we're playing the Bears. Uh, and we're studying all Bears tape. We're looking at Bear defense, Bear offense. We still need access to things that took place this past weekend that were successful and were cutting edge or it was a twist or something that was unique that could help us. So you had to divide that labor a little bit and you had to look outside the box a little bit. And yeah, the focus is on the Bears, but where do you see what happened with Detroit last weekend against the Vikings? This came in a red zone third down play and you looked at it you're like we need that um that was just paying attention to paying attention to the the trends whose offense impresses you the most in today's game then well it's funny just we just brought up detroit man they made some changes in the offseason um i know a few of the coaches there i don't know the coordinator or the play caller but they clearly have gone from, you know, whatever they were a year ago to where they are today. They're by far the the most improved offense, uh, and it's not even close. Um, oh, let's see. I, you like I like looking at Kansas City because of Mahomes and Andy does a good job. You know, you'll have some wrinkles you like looking at. I would say Philadelphia is doing some good things. They're doing some things in the running game that may or may not apply to your own offense. And yet you still have to watch uh, 
you have to watch them. You have to watch, uh, oh, if I were to bounce around the league, uh, you know, generally speaking, you're watching Green Bay. Um, I, I haven't seen any tape of them this year really as much. Uh, but Detroit's a team that would would jump out at you a little differently. Buffalo does some unique things as well. Okay, so this is, you were a little spoiled there with Breeze for as long as you had him, but obviously you were on staffs prior to being a head coach. Can you, it depends on the personality, right? Every every quarterback's personality is different, but pro athletes can be very similar, and it's like they don't want to be told what they can't do. They have to have a certain confidence. You just have to have enough of an ego to even get you to this place in the first point. But like if you're, if you're Shanahan and you're working with Brock Purdy, are you saying like, hey, look, here's some of the things that Jimmy could do. We don't think you can do. So we're going to take these out. I, I don't know that you ever had to do that with Drew, but have you had to at times massage the message with the backup and go, hey, I know you probably think you've got this throw. <laughs> we may not think you have it. We, we're not going to call that for you. I, I guess, again, every guy would be different, unique in how that relationship plays out. But what is that challenge like? Yeah, I look, the one thing you don't want to do, and, and you bring up another good offense, and San Francisco would definitely be one uh, that I didn't bring up earlier that you'd want to study. Um, you don't want to be practicing things that you know as a play caller you're not going to call. Then then, then you're, you're not being, you know, efficient with your time. You only have so many reps each week to practice. And so ultimately, um, you, you want to appeal to the play call. The play caller wants the quarterback to feel confident and comfortable with these things. Um, do I have to verbalize to my backup uh, the week of, hey, these aren't plays I want for you. I probably don't even have to say that. It's easy for me just to, you know, look, the week begins on a Wednesday morning and they come in and they get first and second down based installation. They get the run game. They get the play action, three-step, five-step, empty. Um, that system Kyle runs there, uh, which is which is very uh, challenging to defend. They do a number of unique things in the run game and then marry a lot of it. To, to what they want to do in the passing game. I, I, I don't see that having to change a lot for Brock. I, I think the biggest challenge would be if the quarterback mentally wasn't able to verbalize in the huddle at the line of scrimmage, all right, he hasn't even thrown a pass yet, but can he, can he keep up mentally with getting them in and out of the right place? And, and I don't think... Brock Purdy would would have been there this long had he struggled in that area. In other words, that's something that, as a as a young player, isn't necessarily always easy to do. But he seemed very comfortable at at getting him in and out of you know positive or advantageous plays. You see it at the line of scrimmage, you know, four or five times, just like you saw with with Garoppolo. So I think he's got a young player who's confident. The, the two greatest allies for good quarterback play would be good defense and a running game. Um, there's nothing worse than trying to play that position and can't run the ball well and you're in a shootout. That All the pressure is on the quarterback. And so I think, to Kyle's credit, and watching them even this past weekend, uh, Brock's going to be smart enough to understand that. They've got a team that can contend and win this year. 
And so history has shown us in the past that they, it happened in New York with Hostetler. Um, you know, it's happened where a Super Bowl winner has been the backup quarterback for one reason or another by the time the season came to an end. So I, I think, yeah, you modify. You, there might be some things they like that Brock gives them that maybe they didn't have with Jimmy. And so the job of the coach, though, certainly is to build around the skill set of the player. And I don't, I don't know that today, sitting sitting here, I could say, well, clearly he doesn't do this as well or this as well. I mean, we would say he's not experienced, but I haven't seen anything with my eye yet to say, well, they've had to change this. You know, I yeah, you're right. That. And and probably I was probably using that more as just an example of transition instead of truly like I watch Brock a lot of college, but you know, it's not like Garoppolo's Mahomes either. So you're right. Like I was kind of using that more as an example. But it becomes Brian, it becomes more problematic when and and sometimes this happens when your one plays a certain way and your two is kind of different. Like, you know, Josh out Al- Josh Allen at Buffalo, that you know, there's a certain way he plays that man, it's rare to you know, you're not gonna find that in your backup. And so how does your game change when the backup's in? All right. Well, quite a bit then. You know, you might have we, – we would always have a separate call sheet if our backup went in. It, 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 it was the same call sheet that we started with, but it might be modified and a little bit tailored so that, A, ahead of time, the backup could look at this and reduce the volume that he's studying, and then also, B, help the play caller see these are the plays he knows by heart, and and these are all the things that we can still get to without feeling like the offense has entirely changed. But in our league, there are a few guys where if the starter was out, what's it look like when the two comes in? And in some in some cases, it's dramatic. In some cases, it's not. Okay, I'm glad you brought up the Giants because I don't. I always assume a lot of us will have this half right, half wrong. Let's go back 20 years ago. You're calling plays for Jim Fossil, and then in 02, he takes the play calling from you. Was that to appease New York, or was that like, hey, I'm actually, I actually think I'll do a better job than you with this? I, I think, it, in fairness to Jim, and it was the right decision, we had, we had kind of stalled. Like, you know, Look, my first year calling plays was 2000. We went to the Super Bowl. And then in 2001, um, we didn't quite have the same success. But in an 02, we kind of hit a skid. Um, I just lost my mother during the season. It, she passed away, believe it or not, on our bye weekend. And so we'd come back off the bye. Um, and we we weren't scoring we were moving the ball, but we weren't scoring the way we should have been. And so to his credit, we did all of a sudden, there was a spike. So we continued our offensive preparation the same way. And Jim had called plays for a long time. And I think the hardest thing, I know from being a head coach and a play caller, it's, it's, it's uh, sometimes you just, it's hard when you're not the play caller and you're listening to someone else make those decisions. And 
you've done it for so long and Jim had, had done it for a long time. Uh, and it was, the, it was the spark we needed as a team. It was difficult for me at the time. And yet, you know, there's still something I was learning from that. Keep your mouth shut, keep grinding. The team was winning. Um, that was the year I believe we went to the playoffs and lost that crazy uh, wild card game to San Francisco with uh, Terrell Owens and uh, oh, who was the quarterback that they had? It was just a Garcia. Uh, yeah, it was a, a a last quarter type comeback, but it, it was this. It was the spark we needed. Okay, now the funny thing about you and rumors is I think you've been rumored to be the Cowboys head coach for almost two decades. Okay, so this this isn't new. You're winning a Super Bowl in New Orleans. You're winning every year, and it's like you know he's eventually going to end up running the Cowboys. Uh, that hasn't happened yet. Um, you're in every sort of rumor right now. Do you? What's this like for you? What's this like for you knowing? Like I, I know you're only going to tell me so much here, but what is it like as each week goes good or bad for the next guy that that could be on his way out? What is what is that like for you knowing that you're brought up constantly in all these cities? Yeah. I would say, um, look, it's, it's, it's nice to be wanted or feel as though, um, you're someone that uh, a number of people would like to hire. That feels good. All right. And, and obviously the other side of that is, you know, you're, you're on the phone calling and no one's picking up your call. Um, however, the one challenge for me, I think is that, man, so many of these coaches I know really well, and I've always been sensitive to our, our league to some degree as marketed black Monday. I mean, I, that term, you know, when did that start? Was that NFL network? But, but certainly we don't back away from that First week after the season, it's just another big news cycle. We have the combine. We have the draft. We have free agency. We have training camp. We have playoff news. We have Black Monday, anything. And so I'm, I'm, there's a part of me that doesn't like that element of it because uh, these guys are currently working. They're, they currently have jobs. Um, they're not – it's different if a program uh, – Oh, such as Carolina, and they have an interim head coach, or a program such as the Colts. Um, those two teams have moved on from their head coach. But in the case of so many of these other uh, teams, there are head coaches in place there with families and assistants. And so I, I just I'm sensitive to that because I've I've been on the other side of it. Um, it's the business we're in. I I haven't tried to pay much attention to it because I'm, I'm kind of diving into this job at Fox. Uh, sure. I've made it known that I'll, I'll coach again um, and that I want to coach again. Uh, now, whether that's this season or next season, uh, hopefully it's within the next couple seasons. Um, we'll go from there, but not every one of these jobs is, is, uh, is you know, they're going to make changes on Monday. And, and some of these places. Um, but if you did a deep dive, you'd say, man, this is just a, another change at the head coaching position. I want to know, why why haven't you won in 45 years? It's a fair question. It's a, it's a really good question. Uh, you won't get the NFL Network asking that question. 
but but let me let me jump like so you said you will okay at some point how much will the current quarterback who's who's at this city you know whoever how how much will that influence the decision that a quarterback's already in place i think look i i I read some of these things where this is what he has to and it's like it's nonsense the quarterback is is important but the functionality from front office to ownership is everything. And, and so it won't be because a club is not in position with the current uh, franchise quarterback. I mean, that, that those jobs don't come open. I mean, if, if the quarterback's a franchise player, they're probably winning. But it's going to be a lot more dependent on the leadership in the front office and, and the ownership. Uh, because... There are some, there are some of those jobs where I don't care who your quarterback is. Like it's if if we're looking at past performance and we're trying to predict future achievement, you know, there there's some of these places that have just been dysfunctional and it, and it hasn't been a head coach issue. It's been more of an ownership issue. Last thing, and then I want to get to what you're doing here. Uh, I didn't understand New Orleans like a lot of guys go down there 20, do the stupid shit. You're like, okay, I've got it. Uh, but then I started becoming friends with the LSU people 15 years ago. They started bringing me down to New Orleans, their version of New Orleans. I got to know a lot of the locals, some of the people that you know as well. Um, shout out to Desi Vegas, who probably be thrilled to hear his, his name mentioned oh. here. <laughs> but to to come in after Katrina, I, like I try to describe it. Like if you tell me you don't like New Orleans because this, this, and this, I'll say to that person, okay, I get it. Like I'm not even, I'm not even going to disagree with you. I'll tell you. But if you get to to experience what that community is like, and for you to win a Super Bowl there, and to live there, and to be there as long as you can, like it is one of the most magical places, not just in the country, anywhere I've ever been. And I know it's not for everybody, but. What was it like for you to kind of not being from there, but to be so important to these people that that needed it at the time? And that I guess I think you and I, without saying it specifically, understand kind of where I'm going with it in that the place is just different in so many beautiful ways. Uh, the energy it has, it's different than any other place. And for you to experience it and to be at the pinnacle of the sports world during those years, did you ever have a moment where you knew how different, how, how appreciated it felt? Yeah, I we did. I think, and and I speak for all of us. When we arrived in '06, there were a handful of players that were going to remain and be part of a championship. There were a number of new faces, coaches, players alike. I don't know that any one of us knew quite the journey we were getting ready to get into. We really didn't, because it became so much more than just football. Um, that city is, is, is unique in this way. And the easiest way to describe it rather than the southernmost city uh, at the tip of North America, it's a lot closer to being the northernmost city in the tip of South America. And, and from a cultural perspective and food, entertainment, but the people, um, the, the people that region and being from Chicago, being from Illinois, I mean, I, I couldn't have been any more foreign to that area. And yet, you know, we came at a, at a, at a unique time, a difficult time. 
And that ride began in 2006. And I, and I would argue that 06 season was probably just as significant as the 09 Super Bowl season, you know, that because the city was reeling. Um, we had to, I think, wait two weeks before we opened at home. We didn't play any preseason games in the Superdome. It was still being repaired. I, the question, the questions about New Orleans then were really, you know, education, um, infrastructure, you know, were the schools, were the hospitals going to come back? Um, so football, although an important topic in that area, it still was second to so many of the other things that were paramount. You know, are, are families going to return? And we started winning, and it was, I think, a great diversion for the fans, for the people. And it became uh, it became something that none of us, or at least most of us could never have imagined. Uh, and, you know, when you'd land at an airport, you know, week 11 and there'd be 2,800 people, you know, at one in the morning, um, not a Super Bowl. I'm just talking about a regular season game. Uh, you, you, you recognize this thing was bigger than, than just the game of football. It was about life and it was about some things that, and you saw it in their faces and, Everyone had chances to be involved in Mardi Gras parades. and But it's an area, too, Ryan, that, you know, someone that buys a season ticket, a lot of times they sit down and say, hey, we're going to we're going to we're going to buy the season tickets and in place of family vacation. Like, you know, in other words, this isn't corporate dollars that we're going to whine and and dine our, our, our business travelers with. This is a this is a a decision to purchase season tickets. And that first year in 06, after after we drafted Reggie Bush in that draft, um, we sold out for the first time in club's history. And they're currently still sold out now, 16 years later. I think there's 20 or 30,000 people on a waiting list. Um, but I would say it's a very similar, if, if you tried to pinpoint Who's at the game today? A little bit like Green Bay, you'd, you'd look at Wisconsin, and then it would spread to these other areas, and that makes up the seventy-five thousand people at Lambeau Field on any given game day. I think if you took that exercise in New Orleans, it would be Northern Louisiana, it would be Mississippi, Alabama, into the Florida Panhandle, um, and then throughout New Orleans, like that's who's making up the game day uh ticket holder and and so it's for all the sec football that's played in that region where you have two schools in alabama auburn alabama mississippi old miss mississippi state you have lsu you have uh quite a a handful of sec programs and yet there sits new orleans and you have to, all the way until you get to atlanta uh or you know, you go west until you get to Houston or Dallas. So uh, it's a football-rich region, but the fan base and and what specifically was taking place post-Katrina was something that none of us could have been prepared for. Yeah, that was um, that was what I wanted, and it was uh, it was the answer I was hoping for. Last thing before we let you go, uh, Zebra Technologies in its ninth season is the official on-field player tracking provider for the NFL, powering next-gen stats. I'm on the next-gen staff every 
every Monday into Tuesday to kind of see where, how did that impact how you saw the game once you started realizing the values, some of the stats that they track? Yeah, for me, look, the partnership for me and Zebra made, made a lot of sense. I'm, I'm kind of a skeptic at first, so I need to listen. I need to know, like, all right, how do I think it can help me? They've been with the NFL for nine years. My first buy was when I was able to look at pretty simple data that just told me what kind of practice each player had relative to distance traveled, energy uh, used during this practice. Um, and it gave me just a, a handful of simple readings that I could begin to look at. And so when I would ask in a staff meeting, hey, let's cut back and lighten up our practice load tomorrow, I had a little bit more definitive way of doing that, that I can look down and see the receivers on a, on a two-a-day practice in training camp, the AM session traveling on average about six and a half miles for one practice, you know, the, the routes, all the running. And then an outlier in Brandon Cooks, he's been at 8-2 for two days in a row. Why is that? And let's be smart. And so for me, it was soft tissue injury reduction and and actually having a, a, a an easy way to look at the difficulty level of our practice. And then we take it a little bit further and a little bit further for the Saints, you know, all your all your fields are kind of marked just like you would if you have an invisible fence with an animal at home. And then anybody who's wearing the chip comes into that zone, we can see how many times Drew threw a pass today. We can see how many times the kickers kicked the ball today. And so that we're not randomly saying, oh, he worked pretty good today, or he, we actually can have a, a finite number uh, that we can look at. And then I think, from from the fans' perspective, my son loves to be able to hear that, hey, the fastest player traveled. Instead of he looks fast, he actually traveled 22 miles an hour on that play. And so there is a uh, an entertainment value to some exactness relative to what these guys are doing on game day. Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's really it can reinforce some stuff. It can teach you some stuff. And then sometimes you're like, all right, wait, do I have it wrong on this guy? Uh, Sean, thanks a lot. Great job on Fox. It's been fun uh, getting to see you in a different lane here. And we look forward to the future. All right. Yep. Hey, thank you, Ron. This episode is brought to you by Hulu plus live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV, switch to Hulu plus live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news shows, and more. Plus get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney plus and ESPN plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu plus live TV today. Live TV plan required restrictions apply access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Uh, I'm excited to talk to this guy. I don't know that we've ever talked to each other, which is kind of weird. I'm going to figure out if that's definitely true. Dave Damashek joins us, uh, co-host of the Don't Call It a Comeback podcast with Ryan Shazier, who we did some work with as well. He's also part of the Extra Points crew with Cousin Sal. So, yeah, I don't think we've ever talked to each other, right? It is weird somehow that we wouldn't be two ships passing in the night or whatever the the cliches are, given the uh, the overlap. Our, our Venn diagrams have a lot of people in the middle. Is that Am I saying that right? Either way, yes. Between 
between uh, the sports guy and uh, Chris Long and Kyle Long and all the rest of them. Yeah, finally good to kibitz with you. All right, that's good. It's finally happened. We were kind of kidding around because I, I always, I know you're a big college football guy. I love college football as well. And I always, like, I've, I've brought up, I've had this mini rant before, NFL hardo guy who, like, likes the NFL so much he can't ever like anything else that's football, um, which is weird. And then the argument will be like, well, why would you want to watch a lesser version of what it is? And it's like, okay, so then you don't, like, you never do anything. Like, you only watch dramas. Like, you only, like, you don't, there's not a good rom-com in the old DVD collection at home. So the point, the point would be this, like, Simmons one time was like, what game is on today that I should watch? And it was like an all-time SEC game. And I was like, watch this game. And like, it got off to a bad start. And he's like, eh. <laughs> so that's it. I had a 15-minute window with you for this year. And it's just now college football. You're punting on all of it now for another five years. I don't have a lot of time. Only I'm going to watch the highest level. Uh, yeah, I, I've always found that weird for, for anybody. If you love, let's say, the NBA... Aren't you intrigued to see where these guys are coming from, uh, wh where where they were last year before you start to learn their names in the draft process? Yeah, it's like, but the new level for me is now with Cousin Sal, I have to argue that Army-Navy is a great three and a half hour watch. And now we're at a whole different level, like the... We're not talking NFL football. We're not talking about SEC or Big Ten level football. Now I have to justify spending my precious hours here uh, on the Big Blue Marble watching Army and Navy struggle to get up over 31 and a half, needing overtime to do it. I think it's it's my favorite rivalry there is. So that's your favorite one? I mean, obviously, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to focus only on that. Um, that would not be a rom-com. That would be kind of sad. But, uh, you know, Sal was giving me the business about like, well, you know, uh, the the France and England uh, soccer game outrated it. Well, listen, that makes them ingrates, right? They wouldn't be playing that game if it weren't for our Navy and our Army saving that, saving that freedom, uh, you know, 60, 70 years ago. But yeah, I love the rivalry. I love the, 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 the all grays on one side and the Navy and white hats on the other and the fight songs and, uh, you know, them stacking up out on the field. All of that's great. The football is, is maybe third rate, but that's, uh, that's hardly a concern for me. We might have a King though, if it weren't for that French Navy going back like 200 something years ago. So it's just mm. always, I feel like growing up, all I would hear about is from like all the relatives is how weak the French were. And then you start reading some books. You're like, actually, I feel like they had a window there where they were super helpful, but you know they were only doing it to their own benefit. So we don't need to re revisit all this stuff. Uh, I listen to you and Shazir. Glo and I like global politics. Global politics <laughs> is a what have you done for me lately sport, as you know. I'm sorry. Go ahead with no. Uh, it, it is. It is. You're right. That feels you know like hey, that's when he was coaching at Dallas. Uh, this is um, this is something I thought was almost mean. I was listening again, like the, the concept of the podcast. Sometimes I'm worried if there's like too tight of a lane, I'll be like, oh no, do they have to every week have it fall under these parameters? But you're very loose with it. And like, hey, Michigan now has come back in the Ohio State rivalry. You guys work Shazir pretty bad on that one. Is that uh, your own personal distaste for Ohio State Buckeye football or is it be personal between you and the co-host? Well, first of all, <laughs> that was exactly my concern. 
Are there enough comeback stories? Are we really going to be? Is this too narrow a lane we're choosing here? But so far, uh, my cynicism um, has been washed away by good conversations about Deion Sanders bringing back uh, HBCUs and uh, the attempted rise or return from nowhere, I guess. Was the U.S. ever good on the uh, on the global stage in soccer? Either way, trying to become relevant there and otherwise. But um the uh, yeah, I, I I'm an Indiana Hoosier, so of course I have equal disdain for Ohio State and Michigan. Um, but yeah, it was more fun just to to give Shazier the business. Tyler uh, Taylor Lewan joined us, and uh, you know, obviously the last two years have given him bragging rights, so that was good fun to be there. And I like I don't like to be I don't like conflict if I'm involved in it, but I like to be there and like kind of poke to other people so that they can have a conflict. Okay. So what is an Indiana fan? Like, how do you align yourself with, with what goes on with football? Like, well, I, I, fortunately, I, I, I think, uh, I think Simmons would, uh, refer to me as a polygamist, but I'm born and raised on the banks of the three rivers. I spent, um, every Saturday of my childhood, when the Pitt Panthers were at home, I was at Pitt Stadium watching that unique talk about uh, a great era in college football that I'm sure uh, that uh, if you're 20 and listening to us right now, you can't relate to. But the Northeast was just all independence. And it was essentially then its own conference. You had Penn State and West Virginia, Syracuse, BC, Pitt. Army, Navy, Rutgers, and Temple always playing each other. Those were the 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 schedule. So um, I'm a dyed in the wool Pitt fan, in addition to an Indiana Hoosier fan. So I can kind of pick and choose based on the season. If the Hoosiers have a good uh, basketball team in a given year, I'll focus in on those. But when Jamie Dixon and Ben Howlin were doing their thing for twenty some years, I focused in on uh, on Pitt basketball. But um, you know the the beauty of Indiana football sincerely is that when I was when I was matriculating there have, have you ever been to Bloomington I have I Tom Crean invited us to a, a basketball game and they set me and Van Pelt up wow. like I think they brought out a table and just gave us folding chairs and put us there and again it was the kind of place like I grew up like my father loved Bobby Knight and then he became a co-worker and I was like I don't think I don't think I'm as big of a fan um <laughs> He wasn't really a coworker. We just technically still both worked at ESPN. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that I did like about him, and then I felt like he was sort of a bully, and I was just kind of over it. But I remember my father loving him, so I was obsessed with college basketball back then. Um, I didn't want the Keith Smart shot to go in because I wanted the Big East to win another title, which I think is it was funny because I remember Danny Cannell, my co-host, getting so mad about the SEC thing. He goes, no one's ever done this. He's like, nobody's ever done this. It's so stupid. Joel Klatt said it to me last week. He goes, the SEC's like propaganda machine of like deciding that everybody roots for everybody. It's like it's never happened before. And then I remember co-hosting with Canal. I was like, when I was a little kid, I used to root for Syracuse and Georgetown, even though I was a St. John's fan when the tournament came around because I wanted the Big East to be the best conference because there was this window where it was the, the pros conference. And again, as you would know, as a pit guy going way back, like that, that there was a stretch there for the Big East that was unmatched, right? It was unbelievable. And I was like, no, no, no. I cared about conference hierarchy back then and he looked at me like i was making it up i'm like no dude i'm telling you i actually did this before the sec did not to say i invented it not looking for credit for it but people actually care so back to the indiana part of it um there was always a a weird like admiration for that program 
like for Big Ten programs because it was at one point one of the five best jobs. It, it just was. I don't know that it is anymore. I'd actually probably pivot it back to you because you can have that blue blood tradition, which they certainly do. But I wonder if it's thought to be one of those five destination jobs that it was for so long. Well, it's it, it's just so different than it was the the era you're referring to. And by the way, Big East in the 80s, if I had to choose basketball, I think that's my favorite college basketball era for one conference ever. And it might be the best that we've ever seen just empirically, although the I would take like I would take like mid eighties to mid nineties. Like the the one of my favorite moments ever is the UConn Georgetown Iverson Ray Allen showdown. Just hmm. like so, I got I got to still have that. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe it starts a little eighty three, eighty four, something like that. Ewing and Mullen and those guys on the scene. It's just you know. And then when people go like, "Who cares about realignment?" It happens all the time. I'm just like, "Are you fucking serious?" I'm still depressed about the Big East. I'm still I depressed. I, I I know it makes us. T- you know what? I am trying to put it together. The idea is there, and maybe this is our first subject for for a uh, yet to start podcast, the old Manning cast, where we just where we just talk about uh, the good old days all the time. Yeah, you know, um, Big Ten with Damon Bailey and those Indiana Hoosiers team that Iron Five. I mean, they really ran six deep, and that was it. And there was no one over six nine on that team, and. Every kid, just about by definition, stayed all four years, and that was an anomaly. The 93 year is the one as an Indiana Hoosier basketball fan that vexes me and will forever because that final four, I mean, that entire season, that is the height of the Fab Five. That's the Jamal Mashburn UK team the year after they almost get to the final four without Leitner. And then you still have Duke thriving with Leitner and, and Hurley and all those guys. And amidst that, the Indiana Hoosiers were still number one. And like I say, they had Calbert Chaney, who was uh, as smooth a guy who, by the way, I always surprised. He lasted a dozen years in the NBA, but he never took off on the level I thought he might. Either way, um, them losing in the final four or not. I'm sorry. That was the year after they lost to the final in the final four to Duke. In 93, Allen Henderson, Al, uh, Allen Henderson hurt his knee three weeks before the tournament. They'd been number one. They hammered the Fab Five at Assembly Hall that year. They they destroyed a very good Big Ten um, that season. And then Allen Henderson hurt his knee, and it all and it all went under. And I, I like I say, I remain vexed because I know they would have been able to take down Eric Montrose and company if they would have caught them in the Final Four. But that yeah, that one bums me out. But the beauty of Indiana football is to answer that question is that you really don't when you're 20 years old and at the tailgate, you feel no motivation to go into the stadium, maybe around the second quarter, like, yeah, hey, let's just go check it out. You go in for 10 minutes. You're like, yep, down 28, back to the tailgate. And it's so lovely there since, since you were there, you know, right next to the arena and the stadium are those rolling green hills with the streams and the lovely trees and everything. Why wouldn't you be out there having a beer instead of watching the the Hoosiers get whipped by the Wolverines, Buckeyes, or otherwise? I'm afraid people are going to need to babble to translate some of this for us. But when you brought up Damon Bailey, all I can ever remember is that the story goes, Bob Knight, and it's been talked about for years, but probably not, not in the last 10, but Bobby Knight was so pissed at his guards that he told them there's this eighth grader named Damon Bailey who was better than them right now. And I remember being a kid and going like, wait, 
do I suck at basketball? <laughs> this is eighth grader who's better than everybody else on the who are at least the Hoosiers guards. And unfortunately for Damon Bailey, like that was the stat. That was what he was having to live up to when he first shows up on campus. A quote that was four years old. <laughs> that it, it is weird because I remember I went to it was so crazy. I got I, I got uh, drawn into it. I thought I loved basketball, thought I loved sports until I got there. And people then would go on purpose. They, they'd be, you know, in college and they on purpose say, hey, you want to go watch Damon Bailey? He's coming to Indiana next year. Like it's Friday night, man. What? Are, why are we going to go to a high school basketball game? And then. I found myself actually attending a Damon, but he never, he was the biggest guy on the floor. So, you know, he was in the low post. It, it was, you realized in his freshman year, like point guard, he's not, ne he's never been on the perimeter in his life. He's just, he's dominated the, the, uh, the farm boys for the last uh, decade of his life. Yeah. Um, it's funny, weird thing. I, we were in Indianapolis for the NFL draft about, six, seven years ago. And we lined it up. Ike Taylor, Maurice Jones, Drew and Pat McAfee. And I went to play two on two in that old Butler gym. You know, the, the one. Yeah. From Hoosiers. I, I did the same thing when I was in Indy. The first time we went, Butler let us come in and I, there was a rack of balls. And I looked at him and was like, I don't know what the okay here is, but if they think I'm not shooting. And Stanford, Steven, I shot around for like a half an hour. Nobody, nobody gave a shit. I don't know That's if everybody's allowed for. to do that, but we, we. Well, the best thing was we're there. You think uh, well, quintessential Indiana basketball experience and literally completely randomly Damon Bailey walked in and I had a bad back and who wanted me in there anyway. So I sat down and Damon Bailey jumped in and filled in for me in the basketball game. It was surreal. It was, it was really bizarre. Um, but, you know, I had my run into your point about Bob Knight. I loved him, thought it was super fun, funny, how he could literally grown up referees, how he could intimidate guys into making calls, all that stuff, his rules um, and the success that came with it and everything. But I wrote him a letter in my senior year saying, um, hey, coach, I want to show you since you hate the media so much. I was a journalism student. I said, let me show you that uh, that our school is producing a, a better generation of journalists. Can I come interview you after practice one day? And I called the next week, you know, just assumed it was a, a silly thing to do to take take my shot and uh, called called the office. And the assistant who later became famous or infamous because he she had a potted plant thrown at her against the wall. If you remember that, that was one of coach Knight's great deeds was he threw a potted plant in the office. She answered the phone. She said, yeah, coach Knight will see you on the floor on Wednesday after practice at blank time. And I was like, what? Wait, he said, yes, I'm going to go in. <laughs> I was just kind of kidding around. And so I went down there and uh, another journalism guy with me had, had the camera on those old, on those old high eight tapes that you shoot on, and we propped up the camera. And uh, again, surreal because we go to the office, and she said, "Coach Knight's going to meet you down on the floor." And we went down there, and they're wrapping up practice. And there's Calbert Chaney and all those guys shooting free throws to finish practice. And right in the middle of the floor, we set up right on the seal. And Coach Knight, six foot five, all of them. He looks like he looks half man, half eagle. Uh, with, with with that gate coming towards us and it, and he comes over 
And we begin the interview and he didn't like my first question. I don't remember that was he was miffed that there was a camera there. What What's that doing here? So, well, you know, 20 late 20th century journalism man. you know, we're, we're videotaping it as well. Uh, he didn't like that. He didn't like the first question. The second question I asked and he said, tell you what, if you can get your shit together before tomorrow, we can come back and try this again. Otherwise, uh, that's it. He turned and then he came back and said, I'm going to need that tape too, knowing that he had just said all that on tape to a student. So he took it and uh, it turned out from, we learned from one of the uh, student trainer guys that coach Knight immediately went behind a closed door and broke the tape. And I, then I debated all night. Do I go back? No, coach Knight is challenging me as a journalist to see what I'm made of. Do I have the medal? I went back the next day against my better judgment, asked him a bunch of softball questions. He liked those. And at the end of it, he said, now that's how you do it. By the way, here, I, I, I have something for you. And he gave me back the high eight tape that we went back and put in the machine. And of course it didn't work because he had just broken it the day before, but it was, it was the gesture that meant so much to me from coach Knight. Yeah. He was a, he was a bully is the bottom line of that story. Okay. So were you done with him after that or were you? Yeah. Okay. That was the end of it. My, my two days with coach Knight, one-on-one experience. You think like, wouldn't it be fun? I mean, before we went in the car ride, literally we were talking like, wouldn't it be funny if he yelled at us? Wouldn't it be fun? That'd, that'd be a great story if he got into us like he he does at one of his press conferences or otherwise. And uh, and then, uh, you know, 20 minutes later, it was actually happening and it wasn't as much fun. No. And again, if you're a student, like you could play it over again in your head or be the Carl, I should have done this. I should have done that. You're not going to do shit. You're a student and it's Bob Knight. <laughs> and that's just, that's just the way the world works. But yeah, as I got older and started processing more of his stuff, I was like, this guy's a bully. And he doesn't think enough of anyone else's intelligence. You know, he doesn't have enough respect for somebody else that he doesn't know for us to supposedly believe his shit. And, um, you know, it, unfortunately, it was a bad end to what is an icon in that state. Like he at one point, exactly, the yeah. mo- most important guy. Well, I would say the most the most loved and most important is probably debatable with that. I kind of think back because I used to do the college game day stuff where this is. You know, I'm with ESPN. I'm on the air, but it felt like fucking student newspaper time when you roll in after Herb Street and Fowler and Desmond and Corso. And you're like, can I have seven minutes with you, Bob Stoops? And it was funny because I had met up with a local media guy the night before in Norman, Oklahoma. I ended up having drinks with the guys that were on the Sooner staff. And they were like, what are you doing tomorrow? I was like, I'm actually a coach. I, I have a coach. I have Stoops. I have Bob Stoops tomorrow. And then one of his coaches is like, well, what are you going to ask him? And I was like, well, your defense, man. I was like, I don't know what's going on. I was like, well, I was going to ask, hey, you know, defensively, you've gone here, here, here. And then the coach is like, well, he's not going to like that one. <laughs> like, and so he goes, you're going to ask him that? I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, he's a football coach. Like, I can't ask about a declining defense. So we make it over to Stoops' office, and it's decked out, right? It is, <laughs> it is decked out. And for some reason, I had to kind of wait in his office. I think his, his handler was like, hey, you can wait in the office. And so I'm just looking around, and there's these glass cases of all of his watches from all the bowl games. Like, going back, it was crazy. It was actually, like, cool. Like, it, what, it didn't feel like an... Like, what are you supposed to do with these things? Have them in your massive office on campus where you're a legend. So go ahead and do it. So I, I didn't know thought, that was a thing. Watches are just the yeah. standard prize. I didn't know that. No, I well, I, I don't know if it's just for the coaches or for the players, but you go back and be like, oh, look at that. Orange Bowl, Iowa, like going hmm. way back, right? 
And it was actually pretty cool. I mean, it was like a mini little museum. So he sits down, he goes alpha position on me, sits on the top of the front of his desk. And I'm like, ah, oh, shit, I should have stood too late now, too late now to mix it up. And then, uh, you know, some of the coaches were kind of looking at me and looking at my arms being like, what's this guy's fucking deal? Did he play somewhere? Is he just compensating for a year of athletics, years of athletic failure? And you're like, yes, it's the second one. So I was like, hey, coach, you know, I noticed like trend wise, whatever, whatever, like the defense is going here and it's already it's he's totally pissed off. He's already wasted a ton of time with the TV people, but that is mandatory. They're calling the game. Game day is in your city. Like that's the deal. And you're going to see him again. So you got to be nice to those guys. Me, he still can't understand why I'm there. He doesn't. I have a microphone and a little task cam thing in my hand. And sometimes I'd have Stan Steve with me. Sometimes I wouldn't. And I start right in with like, why is the defense bad? Which I don't know because at that point in my career, I should have been better. I was, I've always kind of prided myself on the massage question. But like, hey, look, the one's coming. Like, there's one coming. But I'm gonna, sure. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start us off. I'm gonna try to disarm you here a little bit. And I didn't Let's even disarm. Have a laugh. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. right. Like, hey, man, hey, you, you, see, you hear that new. <laughs> Brooks and Dunn CD coach, <laughs> you know, like try to get on his level. And he just immediately, like in his stoops voice, what you fail to realize, Ryan, is that with it. And the thing is, like ducking back on it, I kind of get his point on defensive yards allowed per play versus some of the more traditional overall stuff that became really outdated, especially with the pace that a lot of those big 12 schools started running with. So actually, to his point, he was kind of right. But like, I just went there and it was fucking awful. And he wasn't having it. So then I didn't like him for a while. And then Stoops just decided to like be a great hang. And then everybody liked hmm. him. And then we had him on again. And I was like, you've kind of, I think he came in studio with us. I'd been around now forever. He'd seen me a few times. And I was like, I feel like you kind of were a combative guy all the time while all of us. And then you just decided to kind of rebrand yourself here at the end. And he started laughing. He's like, well, you know, it was almost him saying like, well, you know, I wasn't always an asshole, man. <laughs> like, there's a part of me that people really like. And I thought it was like a really good move for him because now people like Stoops in a way that I don't think they liked him, especially the first half of his coaching career. Knight, Knight was incapable, by the way, of doing any of these things. But back to you. Oh, yeah. No, no. Yeah. Knight, Knight would never have that gear. But it is interesting. I think talk about old manning uh, cast topics. <laughs> I think people don't run John Madden becoming the most beloved figure in broadcasting is wild. If you were lucid at all, when he was the head coach of the Oakland Raiders, I don't know. I, I watched the whole documentary and now I can't remember who it was who cherry picked John Madden of all people. And, and, and his quick rise in the ranks to the top booth with Summerall is weird because he was, you know, he was, I mean, at least half the country hated him. He was the head coach of the Oakland Raiders and he wasn't, I'm not saying he was bereft of, uh, of charisma, but that wasn't something he was going. It wasn't John McKay, like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach crack and wise, or even Andy Reid. You had no knowledge that that was something he was capable of doing. Right. I mean, I guess he did the Miller light ad. Maybe I can't even remember the timing of that, but it is funny that those guys kind of realized, I guess it's a gear thing. Like if you are, if the premise is when you go to work every day is, you know, coaching these student athletes, 18 to 21, I guess you become domineering by definition. And you assume that that works as you go through life. You know, the, um, that, that 
you could become on cruise control and your default setting is being a jerk or being a bully to everybody. So that is a, that is a funny tale that he kind of reversed course like that. No, but this is like something bigger here too, is that I, I'll try to explain, like, especially in the college communities, like what's ever going to be bigger than Bob Stoops in that surrounding area? Nothing. Okay. What's bigger than K in Durham? Nothing. You know, and on the other side, even though Chapel Hill's not that far away, but to be this God-like almost status in these smaller communities and to be there that long, like, I think it can, it can fuck you up a little bit. Like, it, it's almost impossible to not have a bit of a God complex about yourself. Because again, there's a million people too in your every day that are talking about the thing that's super important to them that you're in charge of, and they never know what the hell they're talking about. So then you become desensitized to even think you can have a normal conversation with anybody because everybody's just like saying shit. You're just like, no, it's my Mel Kuyper at the produce section analogy where the amount of times people come up to Mel to tell him about a draft pick. Well, how many people have ever said something that he would be like, oh, that's really interesting. Is it less than 1% might be high, right? So, times, so, true. That, so like, true. times that by a million, if you're a coach in these communities that they can come off, it's like, what's wrong with this guy? Well, especially when you're on the outside of it, right? Like Rick Pitino had a pretty significant scandal go on. And then he had the balls to blame all of us for having interest in it, Okay. And one of those press conferences, he's like, and by the way, and you're like, you're going to fucking end by the way us like, hey, you screwed up. Everybody screws up, but like you screwed up and you're pissed. This is ESPN, man. Like, yeah, it's a national story. This isn't just your city. This isn't just your community. This is everybody paying attention to it. And this is the price that you have to pay when you're that big of a public figure. And sometimes there's this like weird transitional thing where it's like, I get to dominate my backyard and nobody calls me out on anything. Oh, but now people outside of here, are how come they're not following the rules? How come they're not following the rules that I'm so used to because I'm so beloved or I'm just, you know, so important. And I've always thought that college like icon figure at times has to be reminded to be like, yeah, you're that there. But outside of there, the rules are completely different. You're, yeah, listen, you're, you're, you've been in L.A. for a while now. Surely you've, you've picked up on that, it, the insulation from, you know, what, what 99.9% of, of the people um, out there experience just becomes varied. I mean, what you're talking about is at the highest level, small town. You walk the streets. Obviously, nobody is telling you, I disagreed with the with the choice you made in the final two minutes. All you get are backslaps. You are a god everywhere you go. Of course, it's jarring when anybody disagrees with you. That's the nature of celebrity. People always wonder about that. Why does that guy seem so crazy? And 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 he seems like he lives in a different reality. Yeah, he does. That's exactly right. The people fall away who criticize you, and all you have are people around you who generally agree with you and slap you on the back and you're making a fortune and everything else. I, in fact, I don't think I would, um, specific to that. I I'd be hard pressed. Like I get the competitive spirit and that's what drives guys to back to where we started to, you know, um, wanting to compete, you know, watch the highest level, compete at the highest level and all that, man, as a vain guy, I would love that college life. I'd love that. I'd love to be the unquestioned kingpin of Bloomington, Indiana, or anywhere else, any other great college town for the next 30 years. Sign me up for that over dealing with uh, dealing with an NFL fan base and media and questioning everything I do every week with the 
fear of getting fired. You win enough. You if you get to a place where you can win, especially a place like Indiana or Purdue, a second tier Big Ten kind of school or SEC obviously has its uh, its versions of those two. You can settle in real nice for the next three, four decades of a uh, of uh, of a splendid existence. If you, I, it's the same thing as if I were a player. If I were sixteen years old and I were a blue chipper and USC and Alabama were, were recruiting me, I'd go to like Oregon State so I could be the legend. I'd rather be Archie Manning and be the king of Ole Miss forever than I would be. Uh, another and a lot then be a quarterback from the U. Like, oh yeah, is he as good as Vinny Testaverde or Jim Kelly or Steve Walsh? Like, ah, I don't want to be added to the list of other names. I want to be the one of one. That's Corey what Archie Harris. Manning figured out. I love that. Well, maybe if you go back to Bloomington, you guys can do a live episode of Don't Call It a Comeback, like because Dave is back on campus and he's oh, what coaching. A thrill. He's coaching a journalism. For everybody. Uh, thanks a lot for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. Let's catch up. Hey, sure thing. Great, great to finally catch up. Hopefully we can do a home and home, uh, at some point you can, uh, you can jump on with us. Did Sean Payton tell you where he's going next year though? He did. He did. Great, great, great. He's going to team up with Tom Brady in Arizona. What? (laughs) Is that what he told you? You'll tell me offline. Uh, I would say Cliff and Kyler are pretty expensive to make that happen combined. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one moment and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. This episode is brought to you by Royal Caribbean. What are you going to do for your next vacation? Beach, island hopping, hiking, a little culture? Choose Royal Caribbean and you can go on all the vacations at once. That's the point. You want to go to Greece? How about they get you there? Everywhere else. I've looked at the Alaska packages. Alaska Inside Package, Alaska Experience Cruise, Vancouver, round trip, one way out of Seattle. They have it all. They make it easier for you with adventure at every stop. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Visit royalcaribbean.com to learn more. Hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. All right. We'll work it out. You, you'll tell me what he said after the fact, or I'll just listen to it. That is Dave Damashek again. Don't call it a comeback podcast. Wondery with Ryan Shazier. Hey, say hi to Shazier for me. All right. Will do. Thanks, man. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Today's Life Advice is presented by Chase Freedom Unlimited. Unlimited 1.5% cash back is just the beginning. Earn 5% on travel purchase through Chase, 3% on dining, including takeout, 3% at drugstores, and 1.5% on everything else. How do you cash back? Learn more at chasefreedom.com. Restrictions and limitations apply. Cards are issued by J.P. Morgan Chase. Bank N.A. Member FDIC. Life advice. Life advice rr at gmail.com. What is up to Kyle? What's up, man? How's it? All right. Great, great. Okay. Uh, we do have a follow-up on the market price dinner parties. We we discussed, we examined many, many angles to this. And the guy that wrote the initial email said he wanted to follow up with some of the information that we were trying to 
figure out. And I think this will bring closure to everyone that's still worried about it, which is probably a low number. But let's do it anyway, because I appreciate the effort. Uh, follow up to add some more context. We're all in our late 20s. Certainly no one is rich, but we all have steady jobs and do fine. These dinners occur, I'd say, around three times a year. There you go. Mm, yeah, that's it. All right. That's it. The guy's right? in the wrong then. Yeah, the guy's yeah. in the wrong then. You do it three times a year. You can't be charging for dinner. No. All right. Do you want more context? Once for his birthday, usually, maybe around Thanksgiving, Christmas, another random one throughout the year. Thankfully, I do have confirmation that the rest of the friend group does think this is also insane. <laughs> usually with a post dinner FaceTime with those in attendance the next morning. Uh, we'll usually make offhand jokes about it in front of him. <laughs> All right, good. He's like, if they were paying attention, they'd get the joke. Uh, the dinner guy is incredibly stingy and pretty much the definition of a mooch. For example, a member of the group lives in the South and is flying home for the holidays. Jeff texted. Oh, that's right. We call them Jeff. Well, too late now. We already did in the other one. Jeff texted that guy and asked if he was checking a bag when he's flying home. So the member could bring home bottles of wine in his checked bag from a boutique wine store in the South, despite Jeff just being there himself less than two months ago. All right, so the guy's cheap. He has three parties a year. Shouldn't be. And he doesn't care people. about it. He doesn't yeah. care about it. The jokes are made in front of him. He's fine. It doesn't doesn't matter. Right. Uh, he he did add the emailer said Kyle's suggestion of getting the other guys gift cards to Jeff dinners is absolutely incredible and will be featured in my groomsman gifts for my future wedding. Oh shit, that's perfect. Awesome. Changing lives, Kyle. Changing lives. All right. Uh, okay, this is uh, this is a. This is, uh, I guess this, there's a part after that's just a thank you, so I, I won't read that. Okay, what's up, guy? Uh, my name's Scott, 43 well, It's getting close to that don't fuck with range. Needs to add some weight, mm -hmm. but yeah, I've been, in, I've been in the gym since I was 24. Uh-oh, now he's going to hear us saying he's needed to add weight. He's been in the gym for two decades. Guy's going to start ordering some some supplements today. All right. Uh, it's all about reps at this point, but I'm still built like a Greek God. You know what? Fuck all of us. He's built like yeah. a Greek God. Good he for you. Do anything. Yep. You're the man. When me and my guys get a few sodas down, the great debate comes up. I love the term sodas. All right. Uh, is there a cutoff time when you have to get rid of old photos of your ex? I'm not talking in frames around my place. I'm, I have them in a box in a closet. Quick backstory. I moved to this guy just lets it fly and he said he doesn't care. So about okay. anybody knowing anything. It's not like super aggressive or anything. I think it's a pretty common problem. I moved to Columbia. Greek God confidence. So <laughs> Yeah, right. He didn't give a fuck. <laughs> I moved to Columbus, Ohio when I was 30 and bought into a bar on campus. I got a low buy-in, but had to run the place. Being the type of guy who knows how to have a good time and may have overdid it at times. There was a 10-year plan in place. The first eight, 10 years I knew would not be as much as I would like coming in. Uh, with that being said, I started dating... Um, I guess we're called her K when I was 31. Uh, the whole time we were together, I was pretty much broke. The girl was amazing. And to be blunt, I was not. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds familiar. Uh, she put up with me for eight years, eight years being with a guy who didn't know how to treat her, who was out damn near every night until 4 a.m. and God, sucked dude. in a bunch of, I sucked in a bunch of other ways. All right. So you cheated on her. <laughs> uh, after she left for good, I was shook. Aren't we all? Like, hey, I've been a fucking horrible, like, as far as the, the relationship, the grades, I'm getting a lower one than you. All right, so they all leave us. I scheduled time with a few life coaches to learn how to treat a woman. What? 
I think this is all just terminology. He's talking about being in therapy. Sodas, Greek God, God. life coaches. I, I will just keep rolling with it. I don't know if we get another fake alert here. Uh, I damn near quit drinking and now have six successful businesses. While learning how to be an adult, she met uh, a billy goat that a wizard turned into a man <laughs> and moved, moved to Nashville. He just looks like a human billy goat. And no, I'm not bitter at all. Oh, so the guy looked like a billy goat. <laughs> I got what he said immediately. He's what time did he send this? Oh, middle of the day. All right. If it had said 3.30 a.m., I would be like, okay. Um, we've been broken up for four years now. In a brief history of the relationship, you may be able to tell she still means the world to me. That's why I'd want to keep the pictures. My friends, on the other hand, keep saying a new relationship will never work as long as I have the pics. Guys, give us your decision. If you vote to get rid of them, uh, the boys want to have a bonfire. He said, I don't care if you use names. Too late now. You know what? We haven't heard from Kyle a lot so far. I'm just kind of rambling. Why don't, why don't you go first? Well, this is sort of a, one of those things where I may may sound like a bad guy here, but it's sort of one of those karmic tricks that I was thinking of. Maybe you could just back them all up to the Gmail and come up to the 21st century and then you could burn the pictures. And then, you know, then, I mean, we'd basically be doing this again if you'd be like, all right, now I have to delete the stuff from the Gmail. But um, that's just a, that's just what people are doing nowadays, buddy. This is like the shoebox in the closet is to, like way, way too easy to be to be found by somebody you don't want. So um, if you if you did want to go that route, I would just say back them up to the old Gmail and uh, and come on into the 21st century. I don't think we're talking nudes here necessarily, though. I don't. I think that's what you're hinting at. I don't. I don't uh, know. I'm that not necessarily. Well, listen. I know. Obviously, that's that. Those those have a place it in does a Gmail happen. as well. That right. does have a place in a Gmail as well. I'm just saying, if you, um, you know, if it's if you if you don't want to have this physical shoebox around, maybe maybe just that will help. But um, it's probably the only thing that's going to help is you meeting somebody else. Uh, other otherwise, she's just going to be the she's going to be the gold medalist in your brain until there's somebody else. So, uh, I mean, I don't. I don't think it matters what the fuck you do with these pictures, really. Um, but if you if you did want to, you know, get them out of your sight, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't think that's a, a bad step. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't think there's a definitive answer on this one. It's really up to you. Like, are you, are you sitting around like do you get hammered and then fucking well, it sounds like he doesn't drink that much anymore. But do you still have like a night where you like go to the shoebox and start sifting through them and you get all fucking bummed out? Like nobody nobody does that and then goes, man, that was fun. It's like <laughs> I did that. Right. Okay. Yeah, you know, I guess the updated version of this. Granted, this guy's in his forties, so some of the younger listeners are like, "What the fuck are you guys talking about? You actually have like physical pictures of each other on dates and dinners and vacations and stuff, and then you you keep it around and be like, yeah, it's just like all those photos that you take that you never look at again.' Yeah, yeah, people people have have physical ones. Us old timers. Uh, I don't. Um. I didn't, I never chucked anything. Like I didn't, you know, I just was like, whatever it's, I, it, when I moved, it was packed. It was in an envelope. I guess I just felt weird throwing it all away. I can understand the, if this is still lingering, right? If it's still this lingering thing and you haven't been able to get past it, then maybe you need this dramatic act of a bonfire to feel like it's this physical thing and it's gone forever. I, here's what I would say. All right is your friend saying it'll never work out for you because these pictures are still at your place. That seems inaccurate. Yeah, me. like it's a curse or something. Right. No, come yeah, on. <laughs> exactly. But again, I'm at like, how often are you going to them? If they're just there and you're not looking at them, then it doesn't really fucking matter. Like once I had broken up with somebody and we had all these pictures, it went into an envelope. You know, the first time I did it, I was like, yeah, this sucks. 
And then I didn't really ever look at him again. And now like it, it means nothing to me. Like if they were missing, I'd be like, whatever. And if the next time I move and I find them, I may open them and sip, but it's not, there's no part, like whatever you've had to deal with and process to move on emotionally from it all has already fucking happened. Now, maybe there are other people that would feel like the picture is existing. Maybe you're checking them out more than you should. Maybe that's why your friends are saying, get rid of them. I, I, so I'll, ultimately, my answer on this one is that, yeah, maybe, but it's really more about you. I don't think this is a rule for everybody type of thing. Uh, you know, you're going to have to just get to a point where you, not to get deep here, but like it sounds like you've already forgiven yourself for how bad you've treated her. That's the other thing, too. Like when you're the fuck up in the relationship, it actually becomes easier to go. Yeah, I didn't really deserve that person. <laughs> and that wasn't great. So really no one else to blame. It's actually way harder the other way around when you're like, what the fuck? I was awesome. I did everything right. I was so nice, you know? And it's like, and I still got burned. So trust me, it's far <laughs> easier, to, I think, eventually. And everybody's different. Some people get over it immediately, which I think is a little weird. Uh, some people have it last way too long, which is also probably weird. Uh, the only thing you really can do is find, you know, whether or not the next person is the, 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 the love of your life. Just, it just has to be a next person, you know, it has to be a next person and it's not using somebody. It's, it's basically starting the process of, of this stuff. So I don't know. I, I feel like this to apply some rule to everybody's like, Hey, having these pictures, I think yeah, having right. them and never, yeah, never looking at them. It doesn't, it's like the same thing. It's not having them. But if you're looking at them all the time, that's a little different. And again, to update it all, it's kind of like when you go through the breakup and then you just Google the other person incessantly, like seeing if there's new stuff out there. Like, what the fuck? Who's that? Or what's going on there? Like, why are they in Florida? Um, yeah, I would say a shoebox is better at that point. <laughs> yeah, there's no, right. There's no tracking going on. Yeah. Good old school. And you're not crazy for having a one that got away. It's just about how you're handling it, which could make you weird. But uh, it sounds like you're doing all right, pal. Yeah, this guy's got six businesses and apps. Greek God? Come on. Yeah, this is a fuck. And if you're in Columbus, which you've already said you are, and you look that good, you should be a layup, dude. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. 25 years old, 6'2", 225. All right, we're really in that, that lane today, Kyle, physically. Yeah. Uh, arguably the worst post moves you've ever seen. Then don't post up. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to post up when you don't know how to post up never looks good. All right. I've recently started shooting around after lifts at my gym. Think Equinox, but in the South. All right. There's a guy who's been in there around the same time. And he brings in cones and ladders and all kinds of shit to run drills with. He's probably mid-30s, not much taller than me. Keep in mind, this is full court, so he basically tries to claim one half all on his own. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Now, we had this in Connecticut That's once. crazy. I'm a morning lift guy. It gets pretty busy around the time I go in. It's usually just me, but sometimes there's another guy or two shooting at the same hoop at the other end because this guy's running a mock training camp on the other side. Now, for context, this is my first time getting back into hooping since runs at my fraternity house court back in college. Oh, so since he left college, what, two, three years ago, or three, four years ago? Depending. I don't know. Did you stay back? Irrelevant. Uh, so you could say there's some loose balls that roll down in his side. Today, he aggressively throws the ball back my way and goes, come on, I'm working. <laughs> no wait wait it's better come on man i'm working and i responded on <laughs> great response again six two two twenty five you get away with this working on what the big three it's a public gym shit like this is going to happen this isn't the first time he's reacted like this am i the asshole what's the proper gym etiquette here 
thanks to Kyle Cerruti. Go Magic. Uh, you're in the right. You're totally in the right. Easy. Uh, there's always another place at the gym you can find to do the ladder shit. You don't have to do it on a basketball court. It's fucking bullshit. Uh, I, and again, like I get mad back when like people would hit volleyballs at one end and just kind of like practice. And like that's not what that's not what this is for. There's hoops at both ends. So I'm glad you said something. Working on what the big three is is an all timer. So I liked it. The ice has already been broken here. So the next time you see him, he's going to know you. And I think what you do is when numbers start showing up gradually, you start shooting around. You start shooting around at his end, and he's going to find another spot real quick. I am, I don't know if fascinated is the right word. I guess I'll put it this way. There's a couple different gym scenarios that I've seen at my gym where the person will just set up this like obstacle course of shit. Or the person, like there was one guy who had the dangling ball off of the forehead attachment that he could work on his jabs and stuff. And, you know, with his footwork, he's all over this fucking kettlebell area, like all over the place. (laughs) And, you know, there's another guy that like, oh, by the way, I was hitting the bag the other day, trying to break out the old movie tie kicks from teenage years. There was a guy next to me. I've noticed this too when you're hitting the bag. I think like if another guy's okay, and I'm terrible, but if it's two guys who look like they may have taken a lesson at some point, they kind of like size each other up. Because if you were interested in training yourself in any version of fighting, then you kind of just always look at like what the other guy's doing. Like there was a, I, I don't know, it might have been Korean or something. He had fucking legs like tree trunks and he was doing these kicks and he would like delay the kick part of it and they were just tree choppers. And I was like, make sure you don't look at him. Because he's he's already won. He's already alphaed you in this room. So don't don't look at his stuff or anything. There was a guy in there the other day that was watching me, and he was watching me, and then he started getting like more ramped up watching me, which tends to happen. And he started like going through this routine, and clearly he had taken stuff for most of his life. He's, he's pretty looked like a pretty skilled guy, but then he started like finishing with headbutts and shit. And I was like, all right, dude, <laughs> like we get it. My point is is there's this exhibitionist thing that'll happen at certain gyms and certain people where you're like, you can't do all of these things and take up all this room and not expect that other people aren't going to be fucking over it really quick. It's just that most of us never really say anything. Like, I'll still have things with the gym where I'm just like, I don't know, whatever. I'm, I don't feel like fucking arguing with somebody about it. It's not like, I don't know that I've ever, I've told a couple people like, are you serious? And you're done, really? And then that'll be about it. And then it doesn't really go anywhere, which is fine because none of us really want it to go anywhere. But he's wrong. Like he, you can't take up half of a basketball court by doing this stuff. If you really want to work on fucking ladders, like again, I I feel like no offense to the dudes doing the ladder work and getting it in there and keeping that foot speed at a certain level. We respect all of that, but I always feel like there's a part of this where you want people to see you doing it, right? I feel like they oh you, you're doing this because you want people to see it. And when you're in the way, you can't get mad when the other people that are doing the normal shit that need that area that are there for the stuff they actually signed up for, they didn't, their membership is not a ticket to your fucking combine. So I'll always side with you on that. And I don't know, like, he's probably going to be kind of defiant about it. Then you feel like a bitch because you get a tell on him. But, you know, there's usually always another spot. There's always another little spot where you could probably figure out a way to go do your ladder stuff without taking up an entire hoop. So. 
Yeah, I I love that you have a vendetta with the bad guy and you're either good guy. A vendetta is fun. You know, it's, you can go years and years without having like a personal vendetta with somebody. And it's fun. It's it is a little bit fun as long as it's not like, well, this guy's going to try to fight me whenever he sees me because that's not what's going to happen. It's just fun that you've got this little thing and you're in, on the clear right side of it. And there's like a bad it's almost like one of those old cartoons where it's like this is the bad guy who's just going to come in every once in a while and ruin the other half of the basketball court. And God forbid, if anything ever did happen and the like, you know, gym staff had to get called in, which I'm not saying it will. We're all adults here generally. Mm. But you like they would be like. Hey, this guy who's like just claiming like we're that's not okay. There's some there's something in our rule book that says you can't do that. So it, like you're you're right. I think it's it's it adds a little spice to life that there's you have like a you have like an arch nemesis at the gym that's like and it's not like who's who's gonna sit on you know it's like you can't use the barbell area. It's just like when you go to the basketball court, this guy is sometimes there at it doing you know fun stuff that's like even kind of funny. You know when there's people playing like a like a real game of basketball, like that looks way cooler than the guy who's like doing the shuttle drill. Like I just I don't know. I think it, you come out on top in all of this. I'm glad that you said something to him. Like you said, uh, we've already broken the ice. Like you said about like you know are we even going to look at each other now? Like the guy's going to be staring daggers at you and you could, you could decide how you want to handle that because I just think it's fun. Um, I'm glad that you've got like a beef that doesn't really matter. Um, sounds just, like, yeah, it sounds it like, old, sounds like Kyle here misses having a vendetta. <laughs> yeah. I re- yeah. I mean, it's about time maybe for another one. I don't know. Um, who would we'll be, I'm not, I'm not going to push who do you it. Think, yeah. I mean, you, if you were looking for one, where do you think he would go? It's got to be somewhere like so, like on my regular route, like maybe like the Trader Joe's that I, I come to, you know, uh, when I when I'm leaving Frolic, perhaps that. Um, I would, I mean, I mean, fuck, could be. Fun. I used to have one at Dark Room, uh, Frolic Room. Had no, nothing's popped up, and I don't, I don't want to bring that energy into the Frolic Room. But like, it's got to be one of those places, you know, sort of like a, a no place nemesis, that I'm going to everywhere. No, no vendettas with anyone at the Frolic Room other than the scammer. But he didn't really get you, so no, no. He actually, he's probably mad at me because I mean, like everybody knows who he is now. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, everything's been pretty, pretty nice and 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 easy lately. But you know, I, I'm not going to count it out. I'll keep my eyes open. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Sometimes a vendetta can be cool. I know people think it's all a waste of time and waste of energy, which is probably fair. But uh, yeah, in a weird way, like I'd be looking forward to this guy the next time through. And since you already said something that's rather insulting, yeah, like it's you've already jumped the hard part's you know, over, dude. <laughs> yeah, the hard part is over. You you <laughs> did break the ice. Uh, but I'd also add, like anyone I've ever seen doing ladder work, those are very confident people. Right. They are they are the defensive backs of our society. <laughs> and there's usually a little hesitation of of fucking with those guys. But I can't but help every time I see it happening. I'll be like, are you doing this because you're actually doing it or are you doing it because you want everyone to see you doing it? Now, I know some people will say, well, well, that's why he went to the gym. So he's away from everybody else and whatever. It's just like, look, you can't. Basketball courts still aren't respected enough. They just aren't throughout our entire country. It's a, it's probably a, I don't know if Biden's ever going to address it. It's probably not the most important thing, but I just feel like basketball courts throughout my lifetime would be like, that's not what this is for, man. That's what this court is here for. Like you want to have it be indoor soccer. It says indoor soccer, seven to nine. I understand that. I'll, I'll, I'll come back before seven or I'll come back right after nine. But when it's, when it's basketball time, it's basketball time. Another great shirt. 
Another great shirt. Okay, that'll do it for us today on the podcast. Thanks to Kyle, as always. Today's life advice was presented by Chase Freedom Unlimited. Earn big time with Chase Freedom Unlimited. Earn 5% on travel purchased through Chase, 3% on dining, including takeout, 3% at drugstores, and 1.5% on everything else. How do you cash back? Chase, make more of what's yours. Restrictions and limitations apply. Cards are issued by J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Uh, I'll do that top five thing on Friday because I think it's top six. I was working out in my head. Uh, shout out to Ricky, my guy sitting next to me, Lakers fan. Great guy. Sorry about the loss. Uh, and I think that'll do it for us. Ryan Russell Podcast, Springer, Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.